Good morning. Thank you all for being with us today. We are very happy that you all are here, no matter who you may be. If it's your first time here, if it's your thousandth or ten thousandth time here, uh, we are thrilled with your presence with us today. We've come together for a noble goal, and that is to worship our Creator God and to lift up the name of the one through whom all things were made. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And uh, this is a time of celebration. This is a time of great joy because God has delivered us from our sins through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's what we're here to to, uh, celebrate. That's what we're here to commemorate this morning. Let me share a quote with you. And it may be one that you've heard before. It's pretty well known. And it's by G.K. Chesterton, who lived a century or two ago, a Christian, an evangelist, and he said this, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, he means that it's not that Christianity has been attempted and people have seen that it's less, that it leads to a less than satisfying or fulfilling life so much as that people have looked at what Christianity demands. They have observed the high call of discipleship and they have said, no, thank you. It's not that it's been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult. It's been observed to be quite hard and therefore left untried. People have said, I'll pass. Following Jesus, we must not forget, is a high calling. And we talk a lot about the blessings that accompany salvation in Christ, and we ought to. They are innumerable. Living the Christian life is the best possible life, but may we not forget, and may we not stop talking about how it's also a difficult commitment. We shouldn't ignore this. This is a large component of our faith. You know, one time during a difficult teaching of Jesus when he was on the earth, the apostles interrupted them and said, hold on a second, Jesus. They said, increase our faith. That's Luke chapter 17, verse 5. Increase our faith. They said to Jesus, if we are to do what you just asked us to do, then we are going to need deeper, bolder faith. Without you increasing our faith, we're not going to be able to accomplish what you just called us. To accomplish. What did Jesus just talked about? Was it going the second mile? Uh, was it loving your enemies? No. Jesus had just taught them about forgiveness. Forgiveness. He said, if your brother comes to you seven times in a day and he's wronged you, and he says, please forgive me or I repent, you are to forgive him seven times in a day. And the apostles said, hang on, Jesus. We're going to need bigger faith to do something like that. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is hard. And in fact, forgiveness is so hard that a lot of people don't even believe it's possible. In the early 1960s, a young man by the name of Jim Lawson was a student at the Divinity School at Vanderbilt. And he was a young black man. And he became involved in the civil rights movement. 
And he participated in some nonviolent protests and some sit-ins up in the Nashville area in the early 60s. And as a result of his involvement, Vanderbilt University, under the leadership of Chancellor Harvey Branscombe, expelled him from school. They kicked him out. Well, 35 years later, this was an embarrassment to the university. And they invited Jim Lawson back to campus, and they had a big ceremony for him, and they bestowed on him a very distinguished honor. It was like Distinguished Alumnus of the Year. And former Chancellor Harvey Branscombe was there. And by this time, he was over 100 years old, but he wanted to be at the ceremony, so they brought him there. And he asked to be wheeled up on stage... And he stuck out his hand in front of Jim Lawson, this, this man that he had a hand in kicking out of Vanderbilt University all those years ago. And he said, Mr. Lawson, will you forgive me? And Mr. Lawson looked at him and he said, I have already forgiven you. And he stuck out his hand in the two ship. But there was an older faculty member in the, in the house who was heard to mutter a little too loudly. People around him could hear. It's not that simple. It's just a show. Forgiveness. Some of us don't even believe that it's, that it's possible. We have a hard time accepting that, that forgiveness in such cases can even take place. In fact, forgiveness is so hard that we only want to do the bare minimum to get by. Peter once asked Jesus, famously, Jesus, how many times do I forgive a brother who sins against me? Is it seven times? This is Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. And we know what Peter's asking, don't we? He's asking how many times until I can be done with this forgiveness business? What's the least number of times that I have to forgive somebody in order to satisfy the Lord's command to forgive. What is that magical number that I have to get to until I have, I have done my requirement to please the Lord? And maybe we ask similar questions about forgiveness. Lord, I just, I want to know the minimum. I mean, I want to follow you. I love you. And I want to do your will. And so just tell me, how many times will it take until I can be done with forgiving? Why is it that forgiveness is so Hard. What makes it so hard? Well, one reason is this. It's hard. It's hard because we're hurt. When somebody sins against us, when we're wronged, it hurts us. In June of 2015, a young man, 21-year-old, named Dylan Roof, walked into a historic black church in Charleston, South Carolina on a Wednesday night. He sat through the Wednesday night Bible study with the churchgoers, all the while concealing a handgun under his clothes. When it was over, he stood up, and at point-blank range, he shot and killed nine people. Mothers, fathers, grandparents, community leaders, killed them in cold blood, murdered them, because of the hatred in his heart. In the initial hearing for Roof, some of the victim's 
family members and fellow church members had the opportunity to address him. And one of the ladies of the congregation who was present that terrible night, but whose life was somehow spared, stood up and looked Dylan Roof in the eye and said, we welcomed you Wednesday night in our Bible study with open arms. You have killed some of the most beautiful people that I know. And listen to what she says next. Every fiber in my body hurts. I hurt. Every part of me hurts. Now, I can't imagine that hurt. But let me tell you, you can be hurt. Probably not at that level, but you can be hurt all the same by much smaller offenses. Several months ago, I was treated, in my estimation, unfairly by a brother in Christ. And it's not somebody associated with this church family, so don't start looking around and wondering who this was. But he twisted some of my own words and used them against me. He questioned my motivations and my character. He was demeaning and condescending to me. And I'll be honest. I'll be honest with you. I have had a really hard time letting it go. It's been several months. I've had a hard time forgiving. You know why? Because it hurt. It hurt. You know, the only one who can say, I forgive you, is the one hurt by what happened. You can't forgive for someone else. It has to be the one who feels the pain of it. And that is why God is qualified to forgive. Because He hurts. He feels the pain of our sin. And we hurt when people sin against us, when they wrong us. But saying I forgive you, and more than saying it, but feeling it and meaning it is so hard. Because it hurts. And you know why else forgiveness is hard? It's hard because they don't deserve my forgiveness. Whoever did that to me doesn't deserve for me to forgive them. And we hear this. We, we hear this message from our family and friends and people in our community and maybe even people in church. Here's what you do. You say that you forgive them, but don't ever let them forget what they did to you. Bring it up every now and then. Hold it over their head, and that way you'll always have power over them. Because you know what? They don't deserve for you to forgive them. When Andrea found out Jim was having an affair, she left and she went home to her mother. She stayed there about six weeks. But in that time, she had been in communication with Jim and she decided to return. She was packing her suitcase one day and her mother came into the room. What are you doing? Well, I'm packing my suitcase. Well, I can see you're packing your suitcase, but what are you doing? Well, I have decided that I'm going to go back home. What do you mean? You are home. No, I'm not home. I'm going to go back to my home. You're going to go back to your home? Well, you know Jim's going to be there, right? Yes, I know that Jim is going to be there. I've been talking to him, and I love him, and I forgive him. You what? Mother, I love him, and I forgive him. Well, do you want to know what I'm thinking? You want to know what I think about this? Well, not really, but it's never stopped you before, so go right ahead. What I'm thinking is, you are making a big mistake. 
After what he did to you? He doesn't deserve your forgiveness. Forgiveness is hard. Because it hurts when we're wronged. And because those who offend us in our estimation sometimes, but, but actual, in actuality other times, they don't merit our forgiveness because of what they did. And yet, what did Jesus say to Peter? What did he say to Peter? We know what Peter asked. Jesus, Lord, teacher, how many times do I need, am I required by law to forgive a brother who sins against me? Is it seven times? Is it seven times? And maybe Peter thought he was being pretty pretty generous there because seven was a number that represented in, in Judaism completeness. And so maybe Peter thought he was overshooting it here. Seven? Is it seven, Jesus? That's a bunch, right? Jesus says, forget seven. Try 70 times seven. And maybe Peter said, well, Jesus, that is an awful lot, but let me do the math. Let me try to multiply 70 times. That's four. No, 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 no. Peter, you're missing the point. It's not about fulfilling some magical number of times that you have to forgive somebody. It's not about fulfilling your forgiveness quota. I know that following rules is easier than embracing a lifestyle, but what I'm calling you towards as my follower is to become a forgiving person. Allow forgiveness to become a part of your lifestyle, to become a part of your obedient lifestyle to me. Be forgiving. And maybe we can hear hear Peter Because it's what we might say if we were in Jesus' presence. But why? Lord, why? Why that many times? Why must that be a part of our lifestyle as Christians? It's so hard. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he helps us out here. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, a portion was read for us earlier. Paul says, if one has a complaint, and let me just stop right there, because have you ever not had a complaint with somebody? I mean, shall I ask all the people who have never had a complaint with anybody to raise their hand? And we'll see how many liars in the house we have. You've never had a complaint with anybody. We have all had a complaint with our spouse, somebody in our family, with a child, uh, with a friend, with a fellow church member, with a brother or sister in Christ. With somebody sitting on the same pew, maybe in another section across the auditorium, you've had a complaint against somebody. Paul says, if you have a complaint, forgive each other. Be forgiving. Relationships of any kind cannot go forward without being bathed in forgiveness. You just can't have a long-lasting, enduring marriage or friendship or warm relationship with a brother or sister in Christ unless you decide to practice forgiveness. Unless you decide to be a forgiving person, it's not going to happen. So Paul says, if you got a complaint, forgive each other. And now listen to this. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And there we find in the letter to the Colossian church, the basis... For forgiveness. 
The reason that, that we as Christians, not that it's just a good idea to forgive, not that we're encouraged to forgive, but that we are commanded to forgive, and it's because Christ, that the Lord has forgiven us through Christ. And Paul spells it out even more so in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Forgive, he says, as God in Christ forgave you. That's why. That's why. Because God has forgiven you first. And so we discover that believers with a good memory have an easier time forgiving. Yes, forgiving is still going to be hard, even for Christians. Because it hurts. Because the people who wronged me, they don't deserve to be forgiven. But you know what makes it a little bit easier? When you think about what God did for you. The sins that He's forgiven in you. How He's been merciful and gracious with you. Think about who you'd be without His grace. Think about where you'd be without His forgiveness. And when you begin to consider that, when you begin to consider the sinful behaviors that God has overlooked in your life by your confession, by your repentance, then forgiving others becomes a little bit easier. Because let's be honest, the offenses that we're called to forgive in others, they are nothing. They pale in comparison to the offenses God has forgiven and forgives in us. You're hurt. You may be hurt, but your hurt has nothing on God's hurt. Your pain has nothing on the pain that God feels when His people turn their back on Him time and time again. When His people who have said, yes, I will live under your laws, yes, I will live in loving obedience to you, when those same people turn around and sin against God yet, yet again. When they rebel against God yet again. One more time. Your hurt ain't got nothing on God's hurt. And on the pain that He feels when we wrong Him. But God, in His boundless love, is able and He's willing to forgive. And you know, we can forgive others only if we possess the same love. The very love of God. After that Charleston church member told Dylan Roof that every fiber in her body hurts, she went on to say this. Her, her words were not finished. She said, but as we say in Bible study, we enjoyed you and may God have mercy on you. She said that. She said that to him. The man who killed nine of her friends before her very eyes. Another victim's family member said this, I forgive you. You took, you took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you. And another gentleman said this, You know, I forgive you. My family forgives you. But listen to what else he said. But we would like you to take this opportunity to repent, confess, give your life to the one who matters the most, Christ. He said that to that killer, Dylan Roof. Now some of us might sit back in our seats and say, it's not that easy, it's not that simple. It's just a show. Others of us might 
accept the sincerity of their comments, but say, how? How in the world could they do that? How could they come to that place of forgiveness for that ruthless killer? And the only answer that I can come up with, the only one that comes to my mind, is love. Only love can do that. A willingness to not only forgive, but to say, I want you to have a relationship with the Lord so that you might be saved. Only love. As Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. So I want you to imagine someone who has wronged you. I want you to think about them. Envision them. I hope somebody is coming to mind for you because somebody is coming to mind for me. And as we said earlier, who among us has never had a complaint against somebody? And let's take it a step further. Who of us has never been seriously wronged by someone in ways that really hurt? And to the point where you say, they don't even deserve my forgiveness. Now listen, this would take another sermon, but I am not saying we need to, we need to leave wisdom and discernment at the door when we talk about forgiveness, especially in dealing with people who are manipulative and abusive. I don't want anybody to mishear me, and that, that would require a whole other discussion. What I want to communicate to you this morning, what I believe the Bible teaches, is that God has called us to be forgiving people. And not to be thinking about the rules and how many times do we have to forgive to satisfy the Lord's demands, but to embrace a lifestyle of forgiveness. And we've all been wronged. Somebody's hurt your feelings. Somebody's said something to you that rubbed you the wrong way. Somebody's talked about you behind their back. Somebody has betrayed you in a serious way. And I want you to picture that person. I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes because half of you wouldn't. But I want you to think about that person. I want you to envision them standing before you. You are looking at them. They are looking at you. What would it look like for you to love that person? What kinds of things would you feel towards that person if you loved them? What kinds of things would you wish for their life if you loved them? What kinds of things would you say to that person if you loved them? What would it look like for you to want good for them? Because that is one definition of love, to will good for another person. If you want to know if you love somebody, ask, what do you wish for their life? Do you wish good or evil? If you wish evil, that probably means you do not love them. So for this person who has wronged you, what would it look like for you to wish good for them? Despite what they've done to you. I know that it hurts. I know you're carrying around pain inside of you. I know maybe part of you just wants to die. But the question before you is, what would it feel like to forgive that person? You know what forgiveness is? The word that is used most, most often in the New Testament that talks about forgiveness, it means To let go. To release. To dismiss. What would it look like for you to let it go 
today. For you to release that burden, that offense. Maybe you need to today. You need to let go of an offense today. That that somebody has sinned against you, they've wronged you, and you you need to dismiss it. And the bitterness and the anger that accompanies it. Maybe you've discovered that the only way for you to move forward, this is holding you back. The only way for you to move forward in your life is to release it. National Hockey League star Danny Heatley was the MVP of the 2003 NHL All-Star Game. Big star in the hockey world. But one night he was driving over 80 miles per hour in a 35 mile per hour zone and he lost control of his Ferrari convertible and he slammed into a brick pillar and an iron fence. He was not the only one in the car. His teammate Dan Snyder was in the passenger seat and Dan Snyder was killed at just 25 years of age. Danny Heatley was sentenced to three-year probation He was ordered to give 150 speeches on the danger of speeding, and he was limited to driving to work only to to certain places like uh, driving a vehicle, rather, to work, the store, doctor, or speaking engagements. He was not allowed to own a car that would drive over 70 miles per hour. Now, some of us would look at that sentence and say, that's not enough. That's not harsh enough for what he did. And you imagine if that was your son or your brother or your friend who was in that car with him who was killed. He deserves more than that. But one of the main reasons that his sentencing was not any harsher was because of the forgiveness of Dan Snyder's family, the young man who was killed in that car with Danny. Dan's father, Graham Snyder, said, as a parent, it's hard to explain how you feel about losing your son. My pride in Dan was immeasurable. We will miss him. Listen to what he says. So how do we move on from here? Forgiveness in our hearts has helped us to move on. Forgiveness in our hearts has helped us to move on. Do you need to move on? Do you need to willingly offer forgiveness despite your hurt and despite the fact that they may not deserve it? This morning? What about this? Do you need God to let go of your sins? Have you come to the point in your life where you recognize that sin is a problem and that there's nothing that you all by yourself can do about it to fix it? That sin is separating you has created enmity between you and God and that you need someone to do something about your sin. Well, let me tell you, God can do something about your sin. God has already done everything in His power to remove your sins from you by sending Jesus to the cross to die for them, to take them upon His shoulders and nail them to the cross. The sacrifice has already taken place, the price has been paid, and God is waiting on you to come forward and say, yes, I want it, I receive it. And you can do that through being baptized, being immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. You will come up and be white as snow, pure, sinless. 
because of God's love and His willingness to forgive. Do you need that today? Let me tell you. He, God, will forgive your transgressions. And you know what else? You know what else? God is the best forgiver that there is because He's also a forgetter. The Bible says, He will wipe your slate clean. He'll forgive your sins. And what else? He will remember them no more. 